0: Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to call and equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make Him known. For more information, you can visit our website at cityofrefuge.org. Well, today we are going to be continuing in our study of the letter of James, in our series devoted to fellowship, so you remember we are going through James looking at this because in James we find many of the patterns of life that are necessary for us to have fellowship with one another. So this is looking at, okay, we've all been saved by Jesus. We have been come together into one body. Now, how then shall we live? And, and, and I think we look to James to be, what does that Christian life look like? And what are the things that we need to be doing in order um, to be devoted to fellowship? So today, I think we are going to look at two things that I would compare to a hammer. I want to compare the Christian life to a hammer. Now, most tools that you have, you can probably roughly put into two categories, one being the tools that are designed to build things up, and the others being designed to tear things down. The hammer, though, is a little bit unique in that it's about as good at both tasks Um, Something which you probably have experienced if you've ever been nailing something and managed to hit your finger, right? The destructive force is about as much as the constructive force, and it all depends on how you do it and how you apply it. So I want to look at two things today, our words and our actions, that either can be used to build up fellowship or can be used to tear down fellowship. So we're going to be in James chapter 1, 19 through 27, and I would like to read that for you now. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here in verse 19, we see James begin to address the issue of our speech. And he says this, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, um, whenever I read this, I am reminded of my college years because when I was in college, I actually took four semesters of dance. I took two semesters of ballroom dance and two semesters of country western dance. Don't ask me to do it now, I have forgotten almost all of it. But when they are teaching you the steps in the rhythm of a dance, they do it in a series of slows and quicks. So like the Texas two-step goes slow, slow, quick, quick, slow, slow, quick, quick. So when I read here what James says about speech, it's almost like he is about to teach us the dance of Christian communication. He is about to teach us the rhythm that we are supposed to have in our words with one another, and it follows the rhythm of quick, slow, slow, quick, slow, slow, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is supposed to be the rhythm of our communication with one another and our communication with those around us. Slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to be angry. Quick to hear. We're supposed to put priority and value on the speech of other people. We're supposed to seek to hear what others have to say, anxious to hear what they have to say, ready to listen and to try and understand. This is about our disposition towards other people's words is a readiness to want to hear first. That's being quick to hear. Kind of the other side of that is being slow to speak. Now here, when James says being slow to speak, he is not praising the virtue of a good southern drawl, right? This is, this is not about the speed of our communication. It is instead about using care with our words, And I would say even seeking to speak less, it's about speaking only after we have really heard the other person, and at times choosing not to say something because we realize it will not build up, it is looking only after our own interests, or that it's not going to be helpful in the situation. Right? It's, it's, it's about using care with our words and an understanding of what's happening in the midst of what we are saying. And, you know, I think words sometimes get short shift in Christian circles, in part because we tend to emphasize things that seem more egregious, like things we might consider to be worse sins out there, and those sometimes get the focus and the attention of the church But the reality is, is that for most of our relationships, whether we build them up or tear them down is going to be extremely dependent on how we use our words. Now, that's certainly not to say that actions don't have a role in our relationships. They do. We're about to look at that here in just a second. But a huge part of whether we are building up or tearing down our relationships with others is gonna come down to how we use our words. And words can build up or tear down a family. They can build up or tear down a friendship. They can build up or tear down a marriage. And they can build up or tear down a church. So although he does not use the words here, fellowship, I think that here James is giving us one of the keys to what it looks like for us to be in fellowship with one another and for that to be something that is built up is that we have to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to hear. Slow to anger. He's talking here about not being quick-tempered. Right? Not being immediately going to anger as our, when, we, when something is bothering us. And, and, and why is it a problem? And he says it, it's specific. He says, because it does not lead to the righteousness of God. Right? In general, I mean, think back to the last time you were angry at somebody. In general, our anger, when we are acting out of that, we are not acting in ways that build up. Right? In general, when we are angry, we are not being quick to hear, and slow to speak. I mean, think about the last time you were really in an argument with another person. How much were you really interested in hearing what that person had to say? And how interested were you in speaking? My guess is when you're angry, you have a whole lot that you want to say, right? And that's why I think he's saying, in general, anger is not going to lead to the righteousness of God. Now, the Bible is certainly not 100% against anger, right? Ephesians 2, 4, Paul teaches that we are to, in your anger, do not sin. Uh, You see times in the Gospels where Jesus gets angry. And even here, he's not saying, thou shalt not get angry, but instead that we are to be slow to anger. That should be something that we approach carefully, that we are attempt to not live into and and lose our minds in the midst of our conversations and relationships with others. Why? Because when we do, we tend to tear down. And I know for some, this is a real area of struggle, where just anger is something that they, they have a natural bent towards and they have to fight. But I think for all of us, my guess is, is that there is at least one relationship in your life where this is a problem, where for whatever reason there is a person who just has your number, they know that trigger, maybe they don't know it, but they sure hit it a lot, right? That can be children sometimes. I know that's one where I have to be real careful not to go to anger. (laughs) It can be spouse, it can be a coworker, it can be a friend that just for whatever reason, just in that relationship, your tendency is to go straight to anger think this is something all of us can relate to in some form or fashion. He says we need to be slow to anger. This is the rhythm of Christian speech, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. And if we want to be building up our relationships and not tearing them down, we have to live into those patterns. He goes on from there to talk about what I think is the second part, which is the action. Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with weakness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So he talks here about our actions, and in particular the the places where we are tempted to live into the ways of the world, and he says that we need to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. I think he's pointing to the reality here that walking in sinful ways, walking in ways that are contrary to God, are not just destructive for us, they are destructive in our relationships. I think that's how that relates to to fellowship, that our actions, we sometimes think that the ways that we act are just about what happens to us, but the reality is that it has impacts within our families, it has impacts within our marriages and our workplaces and our church, when we are willing to continue to walk in things that are filthy and rampant in wickedness. It's destructive. And so James tells us, you need to walk away from these things. You need to walk away for it for your own sake, for the sake of your relationship with God, but we also walk away for it for the sake of our community, recognizing that this is another thing that through our actions, we can be that hammer to either tear down or we can walk in the ways of God that will lead to the building up of fellowship. So how do we deal with this? In particular, I want to think, how do we deal with this issue of words? Because I think this one is tough, right? We talk a lot. There's a lot of opportunity for us to get this wrong. Well, I want to look at two things. One is from something that Anna talked about last week, and then another I want to look at what he has to say about the word of God here in the next section. But before we do that, I want to go back to something Anna preached on last week, because I think it's, it's important for this. So last week, Anna preached on James 1, 12 through 18. And I'd like to read a section of that, starting in verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Real quick, just notice the the, the pattern here, again, of what is the the result of sin, it's death, right? It brings about destruction, it brings about the tearing down of ourselves and those around us. But I bring this up because I think that we tend, when we think of temptation, we tend to think of it with regards to, to certain sins. Like we, we sort of get what temptation looks like when you're talking about things like greed or lust or gluttony, right? Like we kind of get that there is what that temptation looks like. But what I I think also is that when we are being, you know, slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to be angry, we also are facing a form of temptation. It looks different than those other sins, but temptation is still there. And I think that that's important for two reasons. One, because everything that Anna taught about what we're supposed to do around temptation is true of words as well. And I think that there's there's hope in that because if we are struggling with our words, if we are struggling to to do James 19 and we can know that we serve a God who through the Holy Spirit is able to help us with this, to walk in newness of life in this. And we also know that this isn't a result of God tempting us, and so he can be on our side in the midst of this. So there's hope, I think, if you look at your life and go, you know what, I am struggling with my words. There is hope that, that God can help us with that because there is no temptation that we face that God is not able to see us through. But I also think there's something really significant. What did James said is at the root of temptation. He said this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And I actually think that that is true of our words as well. When we are being slow to hear and quick to speak and quick to be angry, very often it is because at the root of that, there is a desire there that is driving those behaviors. It can be a self-centeredness. It can be a, a misordered desire for respect. It can be just misordered loves. It can be a result of fear. It can be a desire to be right. But underneath that, underneath that anger, underneath that willingness to just use your words without consideration of the other person, all of that is flowing from something deeper. That's what James says is that when we face temptation in our life, one of the things we should be looking for is the fact that there is a desire under there that's driving that. And I think that is helpful if we see patterns in our life where we are struggling with the way we use our words, then we should look for what are those desires that are underneath there and bringing those to the Lord for for healing and reordering those desires around him. and That's why I think it's very helpful to think about James 1:19 through 21 with regards to what came before. Because I think this is him laying out, these are some areas where you are gonna be tempted. You're gonna be tempted to be really slow to hear other people. You're gonna be tempted to be really quick To speak your mind to people. You are going to be tempted to be really angry and to just respond to everything out of whatever your emotions say that you want to do. You are going to be tempted to step into the filthiness and rampant wickedness of the world that's always around you. But there's hope in that. But there's also the need for us to look for those desires. So this is the first thing that I think James helps us with with regards to this issue is seeing it as a temptation. The other thing, he he talks about what does it look like for us to have a true encounter with the Word of God. So he says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So I think here James is pointing to, if we are looking to be transformed and to be more Christ-like and to walk into this newness of life that builds up, we need to be looking to the Word of God. And he sort of gives a couple of, I I would put them almost as steps here. One of them is implied that we must be hearing the Word of God. He's going to talk about us receiving it in a second, but I think that that implies that we have heard it in the first place. Right? So there is a need for us to be hearing the Word of God and putting ourselves in context where we're hearing the Word of God through our own study, through Bible studies, through sermons, just regularly feeding ourselves on the Word of God. But he says here that we have to receive it. Right? It's not sufficient to just hear it. There's a receiving that takes place. And I'm reminded of Jesus and his parable of the sower where he talks about these different soils that the word falls on, right? The, the, the hard soil where, where it just never takes root, the rocky soil where it takes a little bit of root, but then the sun beats down on it and it, and it dies. It, there's the, the seed that falls among the thorny roots where the things of the world sort of choke it out. And then there is the good soil, the good soil that is able to receive the word and it produces fruit in their life. There is a receiving aspect to the word of God. And here... James says that one of the primary things that's gonna determine whether we receive it or not is whether we are receiving with meekness. There's a humility to the receiving of the Word of God. If we try and stand above the text in a hard-hearted way, just, just reading it does very little good, but if we humbly receive it as authoritative, as for our good, as something we need, then that is what it looks like to receive. There is a disposition with which we have approached the text. And I'm guessing for most of you, you can think back to times when you've been reading the Bible out of these two heart dispositions, right? Times where you're sort of just approaching it from a, well, I guess I'm doing this today. Um, not sure I like this particular part of it, right? And you probably find it didn't do a whole lot. Right? But there's also a way that we approach the scriptures where we are wanting to receive, we are ready to hear what God has for us, we're wanting to see that change in us from the word. And that is an entirely different experience of receiving the word of God. So he says we need to receive the implanted word with, weak, with meekness. And then he goes on in verse 22 and says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. This is kind of the third thing. So we have to hear, we have to receive, then we have to go do Right? This is about making the choices to obey it and to go try and do it in our lives. And I love the picture he has here. Right? He gives us this image of what it's like if we receive it and don't do anything with it. And he compares it to someone who looks intently in a natural face in a mirror before he looks at himself and goes away and at what, and once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So he compares it to looking in a mirror and then going off and forgetting what you look like. Now, I think there's sort of two ways that the word of God serves like a mirror to us. One of it is that it shows us who we really are. Now, I don't know if any of y'all, most of y'all have probably had the experience of seeing yourself in like low light, maybe candlelight, right? If you ever see yourself in low light, you kind of go like, yeah, I look all right. Right? And then you may have also had the experience then of of standing in front of a mirror when there's like bright fluorescent lights right there. And you're kind of going like, wait, am I okay? Like, am I sick? Like it's, it's suddenly everything is revealed, right? In the light of these fluorescent lights in this mirror. And that's, that's kind of what the word of God is like. It is those bright fluorescent lights where it's like, oh, well, this is what I really look like. You know, and that's, that can sometimes be a bit of an uncomfortable experience. But what, and, and so what he's saying here, though, is if we look at that and then don't do anything about it, it's like we've gone off and we've forgotten that. But I think there's another sense in which we look in the mirror, and we also look in to the Word of God as a mirror in the sense that we look at it, and we also see who it is that we're supposed to be. Right? We have the example of Christ. We have laid out for us what does the Christian life look like? Who is the person that God is forming us into? And we look at the Word of God, and we see that as well. And he also says, you know, if you go into the Word of God and you look at that, you see, oh man, this is, this is the person God is forming me into. This is the hope that we have. This is what I'm supposed to look like and what I'm supposed to be and do. And then we go off and we don't do anything about it. We've just forgotten who we're supposed to be. We've forgotten both what we actually look like and what we're supposed to look like. And because of that, the Word of God doesn't do anything in our lives. Right? There is a, all three of these is needed for us, for there to be a true encounter with the word of God. We need to hear it, we need to receive it, and then we need to make the decision to go do it and to, to seek to live it out. There is a decision aspect of it. He ends the section with this summary. Verse 26 and 27 If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He ends what I think is a really good summary of chapter one here. Not just this section, but really everything that has come before. And he says, hey, so you think you're a religious person, right? You think you're a good Christian. You think you're living the life. Well, are you bridling your tongue? He says, if you're not, if you don't have control over your words, then you're deceiving yourself. And your religion is worthless. And what does he say that religion that is valuable to God, what is he looking for? He says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He points to these two things, one being what we talked about, about putting away that rampant filthiness and the worldliness, walking in the ways that he has for us in in impurity, and also caring for those in need. We see here, echoed again, something that we saw earlier in this chapter. We're gonna see over and over in the letter to James, which is our call as Christians to echo God's love and care for those in need. So there's kind of three things here that are at the the root of what what is good religion. I think in all of these, we see places where we can build up, we can tear down, right? With our words, we can build up or we can tear down. And those that have true religion build up with their words. With our actions and the way we live our lives, we can build up or we can tear down. Those who build up are the ones who seek to be unstained from the world, when it comes to the care of those around us, we can build up or we can tear down. And what he says is those who build up are the ones that care about those in need. And I think our our natural inclination, we tend to have at least one of these that we feel like is really important and at least one that we tend to downplay. And, and And it tends to be whatever we're good at, right? Like, let's say we are really, really good at caring for those in need, right? Well, that's what it means to be a Christian as long as you're doing that, you got it. And, and James would say, no, you also need to make sure that you are not doing that in a way that's out of anger, that you're being careful with your words, that you're living a life that's holy. Or maybe someone who's all about sort of the purity of, of life and making sure that we have, you know, are, are completely faithful to our spouses and, and good with our money and, and that, you know, we just have this purity of life. But how are you communicating that to others? Are you doing it with love? Are you angry when you run across people who are struggling in those areas? How are you caring for the poor? Or maybe you're very good with your words, you know how to speak kindly to other people, but you're missing these other things. Like most of us have this area where, yeah, that's what the Christian life looks like, that's what I'm good at, but there's something else here where James is calling us to say, but what real religion looks like, you need all of these pieces. Because in all of these, we have places where we will either build up or tear down. So I think the challenge from this is what kind of hammer are we gonna be? Now, none of this is about whether we are saved or not. right? This isn't how we are justified before Christ. This is about whether in fellowship with one another, are we building up or are we tearing down? And for some of us, that's going to mean that we need to work on our dance moves. We have to figure out how are we going to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For some of us, we realize that, you know what, there's some areas where I have been just letting the world in. And it's actually causing destruction in my life and causing destruction in those around me, and it's time for me to repent of that and to walk in newness of life. Maybe some of the realize, you know what, I am very hard-hearted towards the poor. I'm hard-hearted towards the people around me who are in need, and because of that, I'm tearing them down, and I'm not living into the heart of God in those things. So what kind of hammer are we going to be? A hammer that builds up or a hammer that tears down? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, this letter of James is hard. And it does serve as that mirror to us. So Lord, I first am thankful that we enter all of this from a place of grace, a place where we know that you have saved us and that you are for us and not against us. So, Lord, if there is any of these areas where, just as we have been reading through James, that you have shown us that mirror and we maybe have some more warts than we realized, Lord, I pray, God, that first we confess these things to you Pray, God, that you would show us where our desires have been misordered, where we are giving in to temptation towards things of the world or in the way we use our words. Lord, mold us and shape us and make us new, we pray. Lord, pray that we would build up and not tear down in ways that bring glory to you and proclaim your gospel. All these things I pray in your name. Amen.